Hi, you're listening to Smart Casual, a fashion podcast by two women who have a lot of feelings about clothes. I'm Amy Mai. And I'm Emma Doe. Welcome back to our two-part ethical fashion special. Last episode was all about the ethical fashion aesthetic. Hi, I'm Sigrid from Intent Journal. Definitely is a, um, perhaps a misconception that in order to be sustainable, you need to be in neutral tones and look like you live in Copenhagen. Definitely a lot of people are like, take my money, I want to support you, I want to spend money correctly, but it does not make me look good. We've been seduced into believing that we're entitled to a $5 t-shirt or a $10 pair of jeans, and the bottom line is, is that that hasn't been made ethically. This episode is about what we can do as consumers to navigate a convoluted fashion supply chain and push for brands to do better. How do you think we can, as consumers, keep applying pressure on these big brands to become more ethical and sustainable in their manufacturing processes? Yeah, there's a few different ways. Showing interest to begin with puts pressure on whether it's asking questions directly at the point of sale in store and making sure that their retail staff know that there is a demand for um, more responsible practices, um, as well as commenting on their Facebook or what have you and making sure that they're aware of the dialogue and that it is something that consumers are wanting to know more about and that there are more people demanding transparency. And I think Fashion Revolution campaign is a really great example of that, that demonstrates that this this isn't a passing trend and that more and more people are going to ask these questions and if you're a smart commercial business you'll start to try and answer those questions and have credible responses as well and go to the effort to make sure that you know the people making your clothes are being treated fairly and that when a consumer asks for that evidence you can then give that to them. A lot of those big fashion businesses are very good with marketing and spinning and greenwashing a lot of times. So as a consumer, how can you equip yourself and, you know, make sure that what you're getting from these brands is is truthful? Yeah, it's incredibly difficult for consumers, um, particularly those that don't work in the fashion industry and may not be familiar with some of the industry terms or the term code of conduct or what, what have you. I think... In order for us to avoid these bigger brands greenwashing and sort of passing the buck onto someone else by saying that they're doing the right thing, but they weren't employing that person directly, so it's not their responsibility, it's really important that consumers understand that third-party compliance or someone else giving the tick of approval is really important. It's not enough for a brand to say that they're doing the right thing just because they think that they are and that maybe they've done their own audits. It's so important that you have someone independent going into that workplace to make sure that people are being treated fairly or that due diligence has um, taken place. But it's, it is really tricky. And unless you want to do a whole lot of research as a consumer, there isn't just a one-stop shop for you. Um, and the term ethical fashion or sustainable fashion itself is subjective. So it really does come down to your own personal values and what matters to you. Because um, you can talk to a big brand and they may say, yeah, we're sustainable. But then you need to ask, well, how is that reflected in your business model? How is that reflected throughout the supply chain? Is it in line with my values? You've got animal welfare, human rights, the w- dyes in water, all these sorts of environmental issues. The scope is so huge. You really need to hone in on what's important to you and then ask brands how they're tackling those. Um, and if so, is there someone else backing up those claims as well that isn't part of the core business? So as consumers, like we shouldn't feel scared to ask and approach a brand and say, so how much do you pay your workers? No, I mean, it's yeah. a it's a dialogue that needs to happen. And 
I'm probably one of those consumers that really annoys brands because when I come into a store, I have a whole lot of questions and it's not enough for me for you to say that you're an ethical label or that you are green or you believe in sustainability. Like you need to give me credible examples of how that is reflected in your business. And it's so important. I mean, I think a big gap that we've got at the moment is that retail staff aren't being educated. So while things might be happening further down the supply chain and brands are going to the effort to ensure that certain things are in place that's not being communicated to the retail staff and so therefore they're not able to can um, communicate that to the customer yeah so in in our um, canvassing of opinions online um, we had a few people who thought that local brands banding together to achieve more buying power with their manufacturers would help in reducing cost strains on um, local businesses. Do you think that this is achievable in Australia and and why do you think it maybe hasn't happened I think it definitely is achievable. There's a myriad of ways that people could tackle that and approach it in more innovative and exciting ways. There are some of the bigger retailers that um, are deciding to work together globally to make sure that their supply chains um, have adequate due diligence and that they've got better sort of buying power, if you will, offshore or bargaining power with factory managers to make sure that garment workers that they're um, working with are being treated fairly because I think you'll find that while the world is really large, a lot of brands are sharing the same factories and so as opposed to them all doing individual audits and doing everything separately they've decided that it's smarter um, and more efficient to do it all together because when you look at Australian brands and how they fit globally the reality is is that we're very very small and you know when you compare us to the Walmarts and the much much bigger retailers factories just don't really need to listen to Aussie brands because yeah we just don't have the huge volumes that other labels do. But from an emerging level in Australia, I think it would be really nice if a lot of these sort of like-minded emerging brands came together and tried to work out ways of navigating some of the issues um, in their business and in their supply chain. And even if that was coming together to open up their own factory here and employing local workers and giving skilled workers the jobs that they are needing here locally, but also being able to ensure that the quality is there because you're able to go into your your own factory and oversee that production process um, and be able to oversee quality control. At the end of the day, you have to trust your design and the quality of your work. And so even if everything's being made in the same factory as three, four other brands, all based in Melbourne or Sydney or what have you, at the end of the day, when something's on a rack, it has to speak to the consumer and your design needs to be a, um, a quality design that someone desires. So why haven't we seen local brands join forces just yet? What are they nervous about? Historically, it's been a very closed industry and it's definitely changing where people are feeling more open to sharing makers and realising that these makers actually need more work outside of just their own orders. Um, That's a huge thing because a lot of these makers are struggling in Australia and that they are needing more work and if you keep them hidden somewhere in Sunshine or, you know, the western suburbs or wherever they're based, they're not going to be able to connect with future clients that might be able to keep them going in the long run. Um, So yeah, it's a mindset shift that needs to change and people just need to be aware that this industry is very small and it's so important that in order for it to thrive that you need to work together and try and solve issues collaboratively.
um, yeah, brands need to maybe let go a little bit of that commercial sort of sensitivity and realise that if they are going to produce locally or anywhere um, as a small label and you need to outsource and you're um, sort of a bit bigger than just doing it in your own little sort of bedroom or what have you, um, it's really important to tap into other resources and collaborate with like-minded people who are all struggling with the same issues. Um, So to wrap up, how do you think ethical fashion can win over a wider audience? I think it needs to be packaged in a really fun, relatable, covetable way. It needs to just look like fashion. I think for me at Intent Journal, it was always really important when I launched the publication that it didn't look like an ethical fashion magazine, while the content very much delves into the issues in the current fashion system and how it's impacting both the environment um, and the people involved. I really didn't want to brand it in a way that was green or sustainable or ethical because I think straight away you're preaching to the choir and um, potentially alienating people who aren't ready to jump on board in that way or who find that branding um, uh, sort of unpleasing aesthetically, which I personally do. I'm not really drawn to magazines that are branded as being eco or green or what have you. So I think going forward, it's really important that it's just a normal conversation that should resonate with you as a human um, and it should um, be beautiful. It should have garments that people actually want to wear. If you're a business starting up wanting to do things in a mindful and responsible way, make sure that people actually want to buy your designs and you're not just producing dead stock I think even if it's been made, you know, from organic cotton and some really well-treated wood pixie fairies are making it, at the end of the day, if no one wants to wear it, then it's just waste. Um, And also, I think also it's just kind of... It's hard to explain, but there needs to be a real mindset shift with consumers that it's not an optional conversation anymore. It's not something that you can maybe engage in if you're a little bit interested. It's kind of at a point now where the planet really needs us to start thinking about these things and to start really shifting our buying behaviour to ensure a healthier and more balanced um, environment. But we can't be perfect, and I'm not saying that you need to be a purist, but it's so important that you at least start thinking about it and just chip away at ways of doing the right thing thing and minimizing your impact along the way thanks for being with us here today then thank you cheers Trying to figure out whether what you're buying has been made well and made fairly. It's really tricky, but there are some standard like certifications that you can look out for um, or that you can kind of comb through a, a brand's website and look for. If a brand has been ECA accredited, so Ethical Clothing Australia, um, that just means that uh, all the local supply chains have been audited. So it means everyone who was involved in making the garment locally has been paid correctly and under good conditions. Um, It doesn't go so far as to trace the origins of the material. So if the material was made overseas, ECA can't verify it was made under certain conditions. It just, what they do is just verify what happens in Australia. Um, So that's one accreditation you can look out for. In terms of organic cotton, there's GOTS, Global Organic Textile Standard. So it's G-O-T-S. And they have a really comprehensive and trustworthy audit of supply chains. Um, So if you're looking for organic cotton, that's an option. Um, there's quite a lot of certifications out there. I would just recommend if you find a certification, just Google it 
and see what's been said about it because some of them are less trustworthy than others. <laughs> some of them, some certifications are actually created by brands, like multinational brands themselves. So you know there's an interest in there that you have to watch out for. The best way to uh, approach it is to just keep asking questions and not be afraid to ask these questions of your designers and and your brands. Yeah, and I feel like if it's a local designer or a small brand, they're going to probably be more responsive to you because you know when your email goes through their form, it's probably going to land in the designer's yeah. inbox, not someone from a big marketing team. Yeah. Um, so don't be afraid to ask prickly questions sometimes. You know, their reply will tell you so much about their business. If they don't give you certain information, you can probably assume that either it's a bad it's mm-hmm. a bad case or, or the designer might not actually know the answer to your question because mm-hmm. they haven't gone back far enough in their own supply chain. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also relies on us as consumers to use our products and then also dispose of them correctly. I think a lot of people don't really know how to recycle just in general, even just with food and clothing it is a whole other kettle of fish. Even when you donate your clothes, it doesn't mean that everything you donate is going to the salvos. It's not going to end up in this on the shop front because maybe some of the things that you donated are just not in good condition. It'll have to be thrown into landfill or the salvos or whoever is collecting the donations won't be able to sell all of those items. So they'll be shipped off to another country, often different countries in Africa, who get, you know, huge yeah. quantities of the They're first literally world's. mountains mountains of our discarded clothing that can't be resold. Mm. There's some actually great documentaries and different series on the web uh, might link to later uh, that kind of shows what the secondhand market looks like in some of these countries and creatively it's it's actually really inspiring because they have local tailors where if you buy secondhand pieces you can go get it tailored to your body and get it reshaped and done in a completely different way so you oh, know wow. in another in the other in the countries that are getting all of our hand off there's Amazing. a culture of having street tailors and it's accessible and affordable enough that yeah, people do it right and just to take it back to what you can do as a consumer to consume more consciously, taking care of your clothes, even if you buy a chain store, just get the most wear out of it you possibly can. As your grandma would look after their mm. knit jumper that they'll hand down to you. Mm, um, and to also also um, keep in mind that clothing that's just available in a store, it's all made to a very standardised size. So it's all an averaged out like formula that clo- the sizing is formatted to. So it's almost impossible to expect um, something that you find in store is going to perfectly fit you so take it to a tailor ask your cool auntie ask your cool auntie who knows how to sew she's got she's got a sewing machine in the in the garage somewhere Uh, spend that extra little bit of money it could be like 30 to 50 dollars extra to to tailor it perfectly to you and um when it fits your body perfectly you're going to wear it a lot more it's it's a little extra cost that will increase the lifespan of your garment like tenfold Once ethical and sustainable um, practices become a standard and the norm, the prices will slowly become less premium. That's just going to have to take time. There are so many other ways to still make ethical and sustainable fashion choices like 
buying secondhand and buying vintage and going to op shops or going to a recycle boutique. You can find a lot of very current designer clothing at Recycle Boutique. It's pretty amazing. I mean, it's easy for us because we live in the city and we live in a <laughs> metropolitan area. Um, but as I found out through my work, <laughs> when you go out to um, even just regional areas, you don't have much choice as to what to buy. And a lot of people, of course, do their shopping online these days because it's so accessible. But more remote places in Australia, you really just have maybe a country road and a sports girl to choose from. <laughs> so I can understand if you can't make ethical choices because that's, that's, <laughs> that's your all you've choice. got. Yeah. It's just shit talk time. <laughs> <laughs> shit talk time. <laughs> I've been watching a lot of the figure skating and I just... I don't understand why the figure skating costumes just haven't evolved past sparkly, spangly, barely like there. Like fairy costumes. Fairy almost. costumes. Yeah. I, yeah, me I, I did see, uh, like, even for the guys, like, I, I would love to see a guy figure skater just in, I don't know, is streetwear possible? <laughs> is that out of the question? Oh my god, that would be amazing because I was watching this uh, this video of a South Korean skater and mm. she was skating to a to anyone track, so a K-pop oh my god. track. Oh, and that's you know, sick. usually they do the routines to classical music mm. and all that. And I think she was just doing a practice routine, mm. but she combined like K-pop moves along with like classic figure skating moves. And she was because she was practicing, she was just wearing regular clothes. Oh. But like I mean, good regular clothes. She was yeah. she had on her sunnies and like some denim and Maybe it was like a slight streetwear look. That's so cool. And and so I was like, oh, I wonder if this could ever hit competition level if we can... uh, Mm. I'm also obsessed with ice skating right now. <laughs> yeah. I Tanya. Yeah, I I had no I I had no idea about um Tanya Harding's story, but um it was interesting to see her story and see that she chose a lot of like I don't know, I guess now it's kind of like 80 daggy 80s rock music and she was kind of dragged for it at the time. Figure Skating Association was so purist. They wanted the classical it's a bit like ballet, isn't it? Yeah. Ballet, st- it stays within its confines and then it takes a lot of push for them to... Um, to evolve. Yeah. And um, the Norwegian... Oh, the, the curling the curling, the curling team? team. Yeah, the men's curling team Yeah, um, have made headlines for their really inventive uniforms. They're so cute. They look like a 50s barbershop quartet. I love it. Yeah, it's really, really cute. Love it. I wonder who makes... Who makes their Olympic clothing? Uniforms? I wonder if it's like the I don't know a, a Norwegian designer. That is often the case, though, isn't mm. it? Because like Australia's had various designers make the oh, national Olympic uniform. Mm. So it probably is. We should look this up. It probably <laughs> is a cool Norwegian designer yeah. who's given them different sets of pants, all in the yeah. same colorway. But like mm. you know, one would be a Mondrian pattern, one would mm. be polka dots, one would be like stripes, and just super fun kind of stuff. That it makes, makes me smile. It's yeah, so cute. yeah. Not that I would ever watch curling. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's such a. Uh, well, I haven't watched it this Olympics, but it's just such a funny, such a strange <laughs> sport. Like, why would you? Why would you need to be? Who came up with this? Who came up <laughs> with this sport that you need to mop like an ice rink so fast, so that a heavy weight can go across it really fast? <laughs> It's almost like a kids game. Mm. Uh, I'm probably shitting on some um, <laughs> a on a very prestigious sport. sport. <laughs> yeah, sorry, curlers. <laughs> sorry. We're gonna get some comments on our hardcore podcast. curling fans. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, um, have you been on the men's fashion reddits that I sent you in the past? Um, I haven't. I haven't opened these links. What are um, What are they? So. Um, I follow a couple of different subreddits um, for men's fashion, including like a streetwear one and just general fashion advice. Um, and because I never really read men's fashion magazines or blogs or any of that stuff and, you know, don't buy men's fashion, all these things are really new to me. And I find it really interesting because um, there's this thing on where Redditors post before and after pics of their sneakers, after like before a concert and then after a concert. Mm. And then again, after to show how they've cleaned it. And everyone gets really excited when they see the pair of shoes that's been cleaned and they're like oh my god this is not real like how did you get your dirty ass pair of sneakers oh, like so back pristine to, back to like brand new condition yeah, oh. yeah and there's and people get excited over that and they say can you please give me the step-by-step routine <laughs> on how to do this a youtube tutorial yeah and i wow. love like, like from what i've observed like in the men's fashion reddit community everybody cares about the details and oh that's really you know cute. and they care about tailoring stuff yeah. to their body and um you know looking after their clothes in the way that all those things that we kind of touched upon before. Mm. I think because with women's fashion, you have so much choice that it does feel more disposable at some times. Like, you know, there's new season clothes rolling around all the time. And I guess it's the same for men's clothing, but men's clothing, you don't have as many choices in Mm. shapes. Like you're always going to get a shirt and a pant. Yeah. Slightly differently. I do think that the language around men's clothing is a lot more about your classics and and like going to your um, your regular tailor, like getting to know your tailor, and you know knowing him by first name, and getting the right fit and properly looking after your jeans or something. Like the 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 language around men's fashion is very much it's very different than the way uh, women's magazines or fashion magazines that. I get towards women it's it's just marketed differently which is strange I I don't know the origins of that or why that is I mean would you say it's because there's more things to exploit in women's fashion right just like with any kind of product geared towards women like (laughs) um you have to look a certain way for every occasion and so Mm. if you have a party you need to look you need to wear this kind of a outfit if you go to work you wear this kind of an outfit the, oh yeah you know the split is really you've clear got, you've got a lot of different um occasions to dress you, for to yeah. dress for yeah whereas and with then, men you can just you know maybe put on a nice blazer on top of your regular day-to-day um t-shirt and jeans and you're set you don't have to buy that many clothes mm. so with women you can sell more clothes to them right no that makes sense yeah yeah with um yeah with men's fashion i suppose you you buy the jeans that fit you and you always buy those that exact pair of jeans that's a whole. That's another whole episode. Is men's fashion? We mini. should probably get someone qualified to talk about that instead of me lurking on Reddit. Like, oh, according to this redditor, a representative of men. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Casual. We know we said we'd be back in two weeks last episode, but you know, life happened. So expect to hear from us in a month's time. Promise. This podcast was recorded in the Sin Studios at RMIT University. Music is by DJ Baby Bangas and editing is by yours truly. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Smart Casual Podcast. Okay, see you soon. <laughs>